Today on 2C Vans. Pillar coral used to be not a very common species. It's pretty rare, but very unique and beautiful and kind of iconic. And it very used, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It used to span almost the entire reef tract from like the South Florida down to the Keys. And now basically wherever the disease has hit, that species doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. Right. So, Completely gone. Yeah. Hello, welcome to 2C Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory, your podcast for marine science, conservation, and education here at Moat in Sarasota, Florida. I'm Haley Rutger. And I'm Joe Nicholson. And we have a wonderful return guest, one of our favorite people at Moat. We like to call them repeats. Oh, yay. Re-people. Re re-people. <laughs> they are repeopled. Yes, we have our uh, Dr. Aaron Muller here. Can you tell us, I think you have a new title since we last It's talk. called Queen of the Corals. Queen of the Corals. They call me Mother Coral. Mother Ooh. Coral. Wow. Mother, yes. Mother Coral. Yes. Um, but my official title is the Science Director of the International Center for Coral Reef Research and Restoration. That's right. IC2R3 for short. That's our Elizabeth Moore International Center. Yep. Supported by a wonderful lady. Um, and it's been a while since we originally talked. So um, you run the Coral Health and Disease Program at Moat, and I we want to hear about what's been going on with you the what past has year. Been going on? It's been a long time, so there must be a lot of stuff that's changed since last we spoke. Yeah, there has been a lot going on. Um, over the last year and a half or so, we've really focused a lot on the stony coral tissue loss disease outbreak that's been occurring throughout the Florida Reef Tract, and yeah. um, probably when we talked last, we were hoping it would subside and oh, maybe right. um, you know not continue. But unfortunately, it has continued, and it's it's been really the focus of what we've been doing over the last year or so. Yeah, yeah I know. Absolutely. And we're gonna get into that in quite a bit today. I wanted to before we do because I think that's gonna take most of our time. Um, I wanted to ask you about a couple of things that happened in the past year that were, were you know, really cool. You had a couple studies come out. Yeah, I did. Mm. I had a good year for publications, yeah. so that's always good to get the information out to the public in a formal peer-reviewed way. So that was um, quite nice. Yeah, like one of them, you had looked at like the um, staghorn corals and their um, genetics and whether some genotypes were more resilient to stress than others, something you got to know for restoration. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, how'd that turn out? That was a really good publication that we got out. So basically what our research showed was that we do have corals that we're using for restoration that are resistant to disease, particularly white band disease. So this is the staghorn coral. Yeah. Um, and that there are some corals that are also um, more thermal tolerant than others, um, and some corals that are even resistant to disease even after they've bleached. So really? they're like, you know, Mother Nature's kind of super corals. Huh. Um, but that a lot of these traits, these resilient traits that we're interested in finding, like corals that are heat tolerant and corals that are disease resistant, they seem to be independent of each other. So mm -hmm. like one trait isn't going to predict predict another. Mm. That's really important because it emphasizes that we want high genetic diversity yeah. within our population that we're putting out onto the reef. So that's allowed us to emphasize the importance of having these sexual recombination events where you have the coral spawn, mm -hmm. release gametes into the in environment that we collect and mix together mm -hmm. so that we have more offspring that are produced that are all genetically different. Diverse, yes. 
And um, each one is going to be special in some way, whether it's heat tolerance or resistant to disease or maybe resistant to some threat we don't even really know about. But having all of those, you know, different representations within our population is really important. Yeah, the more you have diversity, the more you have to choose from in terms of finding those corals that are just right for restoration and and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And genetic diversity itself just helps a population stay alive, right. you know? Yeah. One really cool thing that also came out of that study is we were able to identify those corals that are disease resistant, uh, even when they're bleached. And so we can use them as parents during those sexual reproduction events and collect their eggs and sperm and kind of use them to cross with other corals and hopefully increase the population's prevalence of disease resistance. Wow, that's really cool. And you get more diversity out of those um, out of those sexual reproduction at the same time. So yeah, you're getting exactly. two really great things. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> and as far as the rest of, uh, of 2018, I saw some more impressive work from you and some of your, some of the former interns with Moat. Um, uh, can you give a shout out to any of that stuff? Former interns. Are we they doing the, cool stuff? The Reef Futures. Oh, yeah. Uh, we had the Reef Futures Conference in December of 2018. and What is that, the Reef Futures Conference? It's, for it's, people that don't know. Yeah, the Reef Futures Conference, it's hosted by the Coral Restoration Consortium. So it's really um, focused on... Uh, like coral restoration techniques, methods, where the science of coral restoration is going. And it's an avenue for people from all over the world to connect and collaborate and um, share ideas and move that initiative forward. So um, we had two former interns from Moat receive um, travel fellowships to attend the meeting, and they presented on their graduate research. One of them was Anari Garg, and she is studying the ecosystem recovery of restoration. So when you put corals out there, what other, you know, functions are returning just because the corals are there? Like maybe you get more fish or uh, maybe there's more diversity of inverts and all of that can kind of lead into a healthy ecosystem. Restoring the rainforest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And the other student was... um, Benjamin Young, and he's a graduate student at University of Miami, and he's studying the genes related to these resistant traits, kind of like what we're talking about with the staghorn corals. They're, some of them are disease resistant. He's trying to identify some of those genetic mechanisms that may be leading to that resistance so that maybe we could have a little signature that we could use to... Identify them, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there... Is, uh, Crazy thought just popped into my head, which usually happens. Is there a, a coral gene bank like where we know like strains of corals and the ones that we know are good and ones that are, you know, more resilient? Yeah, funny you should mention that because we just received some funding for 2019 from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. And that chunk of money, some of it is going to be going to creating a living gene bank of corals here in Sarasota. Really? Yes. And and it's going to be, uh, it's going to have a couple like functions. One of it is to be a safe haven for the coral genotypes that we're using for restoration. One thing we learned through Hurricane Irma is that we should have a representative of each of our genotypes 
outside of the keys. <laughs> yeah, that you know, I'm surprised we haven't thought of that earlier. Yeah, we yeah. have, but now but, we have right. the means. We've been trying to do this for years, and finally, yeah. we've you know been able to secure some funding to start that initiative. So we'll be able to bring those representative genotypes here um, in a land-based secure facility. And as part of that, we'll be able to propagate the corals, which we'll know the genotypes of, and, and those corals will be able to be requested for research all over the world. So nice. right now we have been providing a lot of corals for research from our restoration initiatives, but every time we provide a coral for research, that's one less we can put out on the reef. Mm -hmm. So we'll be able to kind of separate those goals so we'll have uh, this gene bank that will be able to propagate for research and we'll have the propagation continue in the keys focused on restoration. That's oh, very awesome. cool. Yeah. It's about time. Yeah, the and the the um, funding that came from that NIFWIF um, was were, were I think moats um, being called upon to match it to help with the restoration. Um, and part of the reason I recall that we received that funding was it, was it came through something called their National Coastal Resilience Fund. And that's what coral reefs do for us is, you know, make the coast resilient against things like the hurricane. And yeah, absolutely. It's the whole point. Um, but I guess we should get to the biggest topic at hand uh, for this year, which is the stony coral tissue loss disease. Uh. Yeah, uh, uh, he's yeah. right. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> I'm so sad. It, it sickens me to hear, you know, the yeah. news coming out of the Keys about how far it has spread. Like, yeah. I've heard it's like all the way down to Key West. It has reached Key West, and um, unfortunately, it's could be worse than that because there's been reports of similar outbreaks could be the same one um, that has showed up in Jamaica. No. Caymans. Really? Mexico off the Yucatan and now also the U.S. Virgin Islands. How the heck is it getting all over the place? We believe because it's a waterborne pathogen that it could be moving through shipping channels and ballast water. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a working hypothesis. But a lot of the places where it, if it is indeed the same thing, it, where it's popping up is usually close to an area that has a lot of high, like cargo traffic mm -hmm. of ships yeah. being through so would you have to, to to decide if it is the same thing would researchers have to um, would they have to know the pathogen I know we need to learn that or would they would they make that decision based on maybe observations of the symptoms yeah I, I think it definitely we can look at the ecology of the disease mm -hmm. the disease that's been affecting Florida has is very unique because it hits certain species first mm -hmm. there's a couple species like the maize coral that's really susceptible to the disease. So when you see a reef and it has the maize coral with tissue loss, like that's a signature. Oh, this You're disease like, uh -oh. just is yeah. getting here. Yeah. So that ecology where it hits some of the more susceptible coral species first and then kind of goes down the line that we've been, we know of from studying this disease for the last several years will give us some insight. And then um, some of the new research that's coming out of our lab, it's kind of hot off the press, is um, it does appear that there is a, a unique bacterial signature of these corals after they're sick. Mm -hmm. And even corals that have survived the event, mm -hmm. um, but been maybe exposed to the 
to the disease, they have a certain bacterial signature too. Really? That's different from corals coming from reefs yeah. that, haven't that haven't been exposed to it. Yeah. Now yeah. I want to back up with bacterial signature. So corals naturally have bacteria. They can have a diversity of bacteria normally, mm-hmm. and they can have changes in that, that whole bunch of bacteria if they're diseased, for instance. Um, so a change in that signature does that and it correlates with the disease does that mean that we're closer to finding a pathogen or does it mean that we just have a marker for the disease or does it mean to you yeah maybe so so corals definitely have a lot of bacteria that play positive and negative roles within Mm -hmm. their ecology and health so some bacteria are probiotics and beneficial and some of them could be pathogenic um And so what we're working on now is understanding how that bacterial community changes once the coral is exposed to the disease and um, and gets sick and dies. And from that signature, we can identify potential bacteria that may be the pathogen. Mm -hmm. But through this technique, we can't do, we can't really determine cause and effect. We can only like look at associations. So we know there's a few different bacteria that are associated with this disease, Mm -hmm. whether they're the primary pathogen or like a secondary response, we're not sure of yet. But this gives us like an avenue for further research to try to help us identify that pathogen. That's great progress. Does that allow you to maybe like track where it had originally came from? Since there's there's corals that are showing, you know, the ones that survived are showing the the markers from have having had that yeah yes uh, <laughs> wow, that, that was hard for me eloquence abounds uh, yes um so like you can maybe see where you know this maybe started from yeah we have an idea in the world we have we we kind of already know based on observations where it began it was off of virginia key in about 2014 oh so here yes mm-hmm. here. oh wow um if we had samples of that area prior to the disease, um, specifically with some of the disturbances that were occurring, um, maybe we could help to pinpoint why it started there. I got you. But unfortunately, a lot of that information is lacking because you, you don't know, know that a disease is yeah. going to pop up there. How do you know? You know? Yeah, yeah. So and nobody's got the resources to, to get all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's wow. why having monitoring is so important because when something new comes up, then yeah. you, you, you have, have a baseline to compare. Well, yeah, of and it. I was so hoping that it wouldn't jump that seven-mile bridge gap. I know. I would, you and me did. both. Oh. So to give people who are maybe new to this whole issue and idea of why we spend so much time on this i mean we know it's hugely widespread but also it can have some pretty high mortality rates on some pretty large and maybe older corals right Mm -hmm. yeah there's um i mean it can have up to 100 percent mortality on some species so the pillar Mm -hmm. coral used to be not a very common species it's pretty rare but very unique and beautiful and kind of iconic and it very used, beautiful yeah, yeah it yeah. used to span almost the entire reef tract from like the south florida down to the keys mm-hmm. and now basically wherever the disease has hit that species doesn't exist anymore it's gone right so it's completely gone yeah so um we actually are very are a part of a partnership that's been focused on this coral harvesting these individuals from the reef or pieces of them Mm -hmm. from before the disease hits. And we have 
a gene bank basically of them. Some of the corals are in Summerlin Key at our IC203 facility. Mm, some of them are at the Florida Aquarium, some are at yeah. Keys Marine Lab, and we're this consortium of maintaining these corals. Um, and some of them only exist now. In a lab. In a lab. Oh. Wow. Oh, darn. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, darn is an understatement. Well, that's, that's sad. And will we ever be able to put them back out there? Is the bacteria still out there? So if we put out the he- healthy new ones, are they just going to get Yeah, we don't again? know. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, most cases, like when disease hits an area, it doesn't just come and then disappear. Yeah. It kind of, you know, blows up and then simmers down, but still... Is lingering yeah. there somewhere, yeah. becomes yeah. endemic, we call it. So I um, I think I it's pretty that. likely that that is going to happen with this disease. And so there's going to have to be some really critical forethought about how we get these corals back out there. And where this disease came from, so, how did it generate? Um, one of the things that I'm familiar with in the way that all these, there's lots of different scientists responding to this disease, like our, our partners at the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary like to say that unprecedented disease needs unprecedented effort. Um, and, yeah. and we're part of it. And one of the things I'm familiar with is something called a restoration trials team that you're part of. And mm-hmm. you're co-leading, I think. Um, that's with the Department of Environmental Protection, Florida. Um, what is that, and like, how does it how does it come out of all these disease efforts? Yeah, it's a it's a part of the Disease Advisory Council, which is a consortium of probably forty different institutions that are all working together, um, sharing ideas and sharing information as we all are studying this epidemic. And mm-hmm. the Coral Restoration Trials team is kind of like a working group within that consortium. Mm-hmm. And we have representatives from different uh, universities, nonprofits, and also from management agencies like the San- Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary and the state of Florida, Fish and Wildlife. Yeah. Um, and, you know, restoration is really how reefs are going to recover from all of the issues they've been dealing with throughout the Florida Reef Tract over the last like 50 years or so. But um, as the disease is moving through places like the Lower Keys and Key West, the question remains, how do we conduct restoration yeah. within this epidemic? Yeah. So our work working group is really trying to develop a, a guide for recommendations of how to do that, how to address research questions and concerns, kind of peck away at some of the major issues and provide recommendations uh, about how to continue to do this because this disease is unfortunately going away. Well, exactly. If you're you know, putting brand new corals out there and the disease is just going to wipe them out, what's the point? Right. Yeah. yeah. And part of that is a lot of the research that we're doing within my lab is screening these corals for disease resistance. So yeah. these corals that are susceptible to the stony coral tissue loss disease. Um, we know we grow a lot of the species that are um, susceptible to it, but each genotype, like the staghorn coral, is going to be special. So yeah. we have identified some that seem to be extremely resistant to the disease. Um, and so now we're, you know, trying to to pinpoint those genotypes as best we can using lab and field trials mm-hmm. and hopefully, you know, be able to use them as the disease comes through and and then once it simmers down, maybe um, we'll be able to uh, address the broader scope of larger population recovery. So what's what's one of the biggest changes? Oh, or, wait. oh, wait, I have one question about that point before we go on. Um, so the so right now, looking at which genotypes of 
these stony corals might be resistant. So, so far that's been looked at, you've done that in a lab setting. So I guess like doing, looking at them in the field is still kind of a next step, right? That's actually in the works now. Okay, cool. Yeah. So about three or four months ago, um, the sanctuary in the state allowed us to conduct some uh, focused out planning of corals that are susceptible to the tissue loss disease. And so we have some of them outplanted in offshore, mid-channel, and nearshore reefs within the diseased area and then ahead of the disease front. Gotcha. And we have different genotypes of three different species represented at each site. Mm. So we can look at differences in genetic susceptibility, differences in species susceptibility, and whether restoration corals may be a little more resistant in general to the disease compared with corals that have been on the reef for their entire life because yeah, yeah. they've been raised in very different environments. And so they probably have a different physiology. So yeah, totally. regardless of the genotype, yes. they might just have been coddled. <laughs> yeah, they have been. And you can tell they look great. They look beautiful. And so when we, you know, they definitely can um, have a different response to this disease. And so we're, we're monitoring these corals. We're in four months um, after the out planning. And uh, so far, we're just still at the wait and see kind of a thing because um, nothing really has affected the corals too much. But amazing forethought, you know, to, to yeah. get this and, and get ahead of it. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Because um, we need to answer those questions in order to be able to continue restoration as this in, in, in the context of this disease outbreak. Well, and I was going to ask, what is like the major change you're seeing on the reefs after the, the disease has gone through it? Is is everything completely different now? Well, on to give you kind of an idea of what the reefs looked like prior to the disease going through, I mean, we're on average, most of the reefs um, throughout the Keys region and the Florida Reef Tract was about 5% coral cover. So already, I mean, you know, the corals have been hit for decades because um, they used to be covered with about 50% yeah. on average, I think. Yeah. Um, and so they they declined quite rapidly to about 5%. But now, you know, that 5% is lost even more. Mm. And we're still waiting to get some of the numbers back. But so you're not picking up certain species within the surveys anymore, some of the ones that are the most susceptible, like yeah. pillar corals, um, maize corals. How are um, the brains doing? They're highly susceptible. So they're kind of one of, after the mm. after some of the most susceptible, they're like, either right up there or kind of next in line. Um, and a lot of the major reef building corals, like the boulder corals, the yeah. brain corals, um, they're susceptible to this disease. Yeah, and not not so much the, the branching corals, like the right. staghorns, but they have their own problems. Yeah, yeah I mean, they've been fighting <laughs> disease for, for decades. But yeah. that is the good thing. Uh, one, like, you know, nice part about this disease, I guess, is that it doesn't seem to affect the branching corals. Yeah. And that's where a lot of organizations have focused their restoration efforts in the in the past. Including moat. Yeah. So we have very large scale um, restoration efforts for the staghorn and elkhorn coral. And those, you know, after some initial assessments to determine whether or not these species could be carriers of the disease without being susceptible to it, um, we largely think that they're not. So we've been able to kind of um, move past some of those concerns and we're able to continue our out planning of those species basically, you know, full swing ahead. Yeah. Have you guys noticed like a great drop in, in, in fish and other, you know, 
um, animal life on the dead reefs now. We're not dead, but like where the the stony or the what's the name of it again? The stony coral tissue stony coral loss. tissue mm-hmm. loss disease has gone through. You know, I don't think we have a lot of that information to to say whether or not that's occurring automatically because a lot of these like reef fish, yeah. they like the structure. They do. So with the structure still there, they could it could be like a time lag before that may be observed. Mm-hmm. But there are certain fish that are coralivores, like they eat coral. coral yeah. So if those corals aren't there, they're going to have to go somewhere Doing else. else to eat. Yeah. Or, you know, they're going to have a pretty significant population impact too. So yeah. a lot of those ecological impacts have yet to be determined because we've been really focused on trying to understand the ecology of the disease and determine ways to even treat corals mm-hmm. to see if we can stop the disease on a colony level. Which makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, and I'm assuming, you know, where the disease is now, there's not, you know, a one, like, promising treatment that can just be administered, uh, you know. I no, assume. it's not like you can just dump a bunch of antibiotics. Well, it's kind of interesting you say that because really? uh, we're not dumping antibiotics in the water for sure. Um, and this is... Um, mainly led by uh, researchers from Nova Southeastern University and Florida Fish and Wildlife. Um, They're partnering with us and we have sites set up where we are monitoring every coral within like a reef area, defined reef area. And our field ops team at IC2R3 are going out every two to three weeks and mapping, you know, what coral gets disease, when, where, what species, all that really intricate data that we call like spatial epidemiology. So like where, when, and how that disease is spreading among a small reef area. Mm -hmm. Um, And what our partners are doing is they're going out and treating one of the plots at each of our locations with, um, it's a, it's basically an antibiotic that's mixed within a delivery vehicle, we call it, and that's just like almost like a, a epoxy a or um, or a clay type of For a person, it would be like a pill and you're taking a pill, but you're using clay yeah, to deliver it. Yeah, and spreading it on the lesions yeah. and seeing if we can not only hopefully stop the disease from spreading within a colony, but change the trajectory of the disease dynamics within a reef area. Wow. Um, so it's really focused applications. It's small scale. It's, you know, the we've already kind of done the analysis for the leach rate of the antibiotics doesn't really come out of that clay so that's not like impacting the environment right. very much that's and what you want you don't want it to <laughs> right right so just treating uh the diseased area directly and um you know it's we we don't have enough data yet to say whether this is an effective mechanism um either on the reef scale or or even like worth the colony level but that is in play right wow. now they're going at it from every angle. Every <laughs> yeah. single angle. Yeah. And uh, with our one of Moat's angle, main angles being restoration, I wanted to give people <clears throat> a sense of um, how significant the restoration efforts we have been doing have already been so far. Recently, you and some of your colleagues shared um, just how many corals we restored just in the past year. Uh, so tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So in the past, over the past year and a half, we outplanted over 20,000 corals. Within the last year, we were a little over 10,000 corals. And and all of that um, 
you know, to I probably to like the bigger picture, people think, wow, that's a lot of corals. Like to us, we are ready to do even more. Oh yeah. But you know, we've been recovering from the hurricane. hurricane. We've been dealing with this disease outbreak and a lot of the issues con- concerning restoration during the outbreak. Um, but still, d- throughout all of that, we're able to outplant tens of thousands of corals. Um, Which is amazing. Yeah, it yeah. really amazing. is amazing. Uh, so that's what I try to, you know, I tell my team in the Keys when they, you know, they have certain target numbers and, you know, maybe we're not always reaching that target number, but you look at the big picture and yeah. the stuff that, that they're able to put out is just, I mean, it's it's amazing. In light of everything that's going on, it really is uh, phenomenal. And they're yeah. doing a great job. The way yeah. that restoration and research feed into each other both ways is very cool. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what is there anything else that we should mention about what's going on this year? You gave us a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, this year we're working a lot on more disease transmission experiments to take some of that information that we've gathered with the bacterial markers from field samples and conduct transmission experiments in the lab and follow that marker over time. So see how a healthy coral transitions to a diseased coral and how that bacterial community shifts over time. Over time, yeah, the process of it. Yes, um, and we're screening more corals, uh, more genotypes that we have in propagation to look for genetic resistance to the disease. Um, and we are conducting more research looking at whether or not that these other areas that the disease is popping up within, if it's potentially the same disease as what we're seeing in Florida. Right. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you know, we're, we're getting a little closer every year to, and it seems like even though it's a sad issue uh, last year you, and then this year, you guys have been doing such great work. So, so kudos yeah, to thanks. you and the whole team at IC2R3 down there. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, and Ocean Fest is going to be April 13th of this year in Key West. Yes. Will you guys have any information on this? Oh, I'm um, sure. Set up we'll at, have a couple booths Fest? set up. Yeah. Um, we'll definitely have a restoration booth set up. My lab, the Coral Health and Disease Program, will be there. I'll be there. Um, we'll have a, a booth set up of our high school. Um, it's a research program for high school students that's in Key West. Nice. And so they'll have a booth there. And uh, unfortunately, living, breathing this disease outbreak, we're all very familiar with it and ready to share that information with the public. So if anybody in Key West is interested in getting more information, show up at Ocean Fest. Yeah. April 13th, down in, what are they calling it? Um, they're still calling it the Truman Annex, I believe. It is. Right beside the NOAA. Florida Keys Eco Discovery Center area? Correct. It is near that area Correct. in the public park. Public yeah. park, yes. Yeah, that, um, and Where the w- new water park is. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Bring your kids and they can splash, splash around, around in the splash pads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Erin. Um, oh, thank you, guys. For the big updates on this big issue. And I know you guys are hard at work. So we'll let you get back to it. <laughs> yes, most definitely. Thank you for having me here and glad I could share. Yeah. So we'll see you guys in uh, two weeks for another episode of 2C Fans at Moat.